Tyneford. I knew nothing about England, except that I wouldn't like it. That morning, I perched on my usual spot beside the draining board in the kitchen, as Hildegard bustled around, flour up to her elbows, and one eyebrow snowy white. I laughed, and she flicked her tea towel at me, knocking the crust out of my hand and onto the floor. Gott, bit less bread and butter won't do you any harm. I scowled and flicked crumbs onto the linoleum. I wished I could be more like my mother, Anna. Worry had made Anna even thinner. Her eyes were huge against her pale skin, so that she looked more than ever like the operatic heroines she played. When she married my father, Anna was already a star, a black-eyed beauty with a voice like cherries and chocolate. She was the real thing. When she opened her mouth and began to sing, time paused, just a little, and everyone listened, bathing in the sound, unsure if what they heard was real or some perfect imagining. When the trouble began, letters started to arrive from Venice and Paris, from tenors and conductors. There was even one from a double bass. They were all the same. Darling Anna, leave Vienna and come to Paris, London, New York, and I shall keep you safe. Of course, she would not leave without my father, or me, or Margot. I would have gone in a flash, packed my ball gowns, if I'd had any, and escaped to sip champagne in the Champs-Élysées. But no letters came for me, not even a note from a second violin. So I ate bread rolls with butter, while Hildegard sewed little pieces of elastic into my waistbands. Come! Hildegard chivied me off the counter and steered me into the middle of the kitchen, where a large book, dusted with flour, rested on the table. You must practice. What shall we make? Anna had picked it up at a second-hand bookstore and presented it to me with a flush of pride. Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management, a whole kilo of book to teach me how to cook and clean and behave. This was to be my unglamorous fate. Chewing on my plat, I prodded the tome so that it fell open at the index. General observations on quadrupeds, mock turtle soup, eel pie. I shuddered. Here. I pointed to an entry halfway down the page. Goose. I should know how to cook goose. I said I knew. A month previously, Anna had walked with me to the telegraph offices so that I could wire a refugee advertisement to the London Times. I'd dragged my feet along the pavement, kicking at the wet piles of blossoms littering the ground. I don't want to go to England. I'll come to America with you and Papa. My parents hoped to escape to New York, where the Metropolitan Opera would help them with a visa, if only Anna would sing. Anna picked up her pace. And you will come, but we cannot get an American visa for you now. She stopped in the middle of the street and took my face in her hands. I promise you that before I even take a peek at the shoes in Bergdorf Goodman's, I will see a lawyer about bringing you to New York. Before you see the shoes at Bergdorf's? I promise.
Anna had tiny feet and a massive appetite for shoes. Music may have been her first love, but shoes were definitely her second. Her wardrobe was lined with row upon row of dainty high heels in pink, grey, patent leather, calfskin and suede. She made fun of herself to mollify me. Please let me at least check your advertisement, Anna pleaded. Before she'd met my father, Anna had sung a season at Covent Garden, and her English was almost perfect. No! I snatched the paper away from her. If my English is so terrible that I can only get a place at a flop house, then it's my own fault. Anna tried not to laugh. Darling, do you even know what a flop house is? Of course, I had no idea, but I couldn't tell Anna that.